Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, happy Father's Day to all of you who are fathers, stepfathers, adoptive fathers, foster fathers here at Central Campus, also those of you joining online, and those of you who are meeting together at one of our other uh, regional campuses in Airdrie, Bridgeland, South Calgary, and in uh, Crowfoot in Northwest Calgary. Well, it's good to have uh, Matt Shore join me today. Matt is um, uh, our family pastor here at Central Campus and also core leader of family ministries of all of our campuses. Uh, he's the father of four children and along with his wife, Arian, are within weeks of uh, expecting their fifth child. So uh, happy Father's Day, Matt. <laughs> so how does it feel to soon be the father of five children? Well, I uh, know how I feel right now with four, uh, but I'm not sure yet. But someone told me uh, who had five kids, uh, they said, they described it this way. They said, pretend that you're drowning, and then someone hands you a baby. That's what it's like to have five kids. Yeah. Huh? So I can appreciate uh, that. Yeah, yeah. So happy Father's Day to you. And well, thank you. Yeah, and we're not the, actually the only ones in our family that are expecting a baby. Uh, two of my brothers and their wives are uh, expecting uh, babies themselves. So which means you are going to be uh, soon to have a grand total of 12 grandchildren. 12 grandkids, yes. Whoa! Yeah. Wow! <laughs> so how does that... How does that feel? Well, I'm, I'm quite excited that, that we have uh, 12 future disciples in the making, quite frankly. But, uh, you know, in, uh, in some ways, I actually like being a grandpa more than uh, uh, being a dad because you can enjoy your grandkids and then leave them, uh, you know, uh, especially uh, uh, when they load their diapers. Uh, you know, you can just hand them over to their dad and just say, you know, well, you know, sorry, son, got to go, you know, have a great day and good luck with that, you know. <laughs> now, some of you may recall the two of us uh, being up here speaking on family day long weekend when we were talking about the importance of, of passing on your faith to the next generation. And, and we took you back to the Old Testament and we pointed out a troubling reality uh, in the history of the ancient Hebrew people. Over and over again, we read how one generation knew and loved God, and then often within uh, the next generation, hardly knew God at all, didn't follow the ways of God, and instead did whatever was right in their own eyes. Which, of course, caused us to ask that question, why did this happen? How did a, a godly society turn into a godless society? in just one or two generations? Well, the short answer is they got distracted by lesser things and didn't make passing on their faith a priority in their lives. And this was of great concern to God, so much so that in Deuteronomy 6, God, through Moses, gave the Hebrew people a number of principles for passing on their faith to the next generation, which is what we talked about last time. Well, we want to continue on with this theme this weekend, how to pass on our faith and our values to the next generation. And that, of course, doesn't just apply uh, to those who have, uh, 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 you know, biological families uh, and all of that. This also applies to those of you who are spiritual parents and uh, uh, are in the business of, of and, and committed to passing on uh, your faith uh, to the spiritual children in your life. You see, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, when Jesus said, go and make disciples, he was essentially saying, go and pass on your faith. Now, discipleship at its core is all about influence. It's influencing another person to move from self-reliance to God-reliance, from, from self-centered living to God-centered living moving them away from their own agenda and on to God's agenda. And the Christian parent seeks to disciple their children in the same way, to move them from relying solely on themselves um, uh, or their parents to taking the hand of Jesus by faith and walking with him the rest of their life. 
You see, we can't make someone be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Only God can change a heart. All we can do is seek to influence them to embrace Christ and to follow him. And folks, you can do everything right. You can follow every principle in the Bible. It is no guarantee that your children will embrace your faith and follow you. Because at the end of the day, they are still in a position to choose who they will serve. And if you have been loving on your kids and you've been doing everything that the Bible talks about and they're still going their own way, just remember that even Adam and Eve turned away from their heavenly father. Don't walk around with all the guilt. Just be faithful in what God's called you to be and to do. All we can do is seek to influence those that were our spiritual children or our biological children or the children that God's brought into our lives. And so the question that we want to look at is how can we influence our children or our spiritual children to follow Christ? Well, the key to influencing someone is gaining their trust. People won't follow you if they don't trust you. According to Gary Ezzo, uh, he says that children are born with an inherent sense of trust in their parents. In the primary years, our children believe everything that mom and dad tell them, whether it's true or not. And boy, did that work in my dad's favor. <laughs> he, he capitalized on this all the time. He would, when we would hear the ice cream truck music playing, we would get all excited, Dad, look, the ice cream truck. And he would say, boys, the music only plays when the ice cream has run out. <laughs> not true, not true. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he says, yeah. Okay, so, however, as children grow, their trust in their mom and dad will be based upon how trustworthy, their, how trustworthy their parents have been. If over the years, in their interactions with their parents, our children come to the conclusion that their parents are people of integrity, who live out what they say they believe in, who genuinely love and care for, care for them, they will feel closer to their parents and be more open to their influence in their life. So the key to building trust with your children and therefore to influence them to Christ and to follow him is to be real and be loving. So let's break that down and examine what that looks like practically in our daily lives. First of all, if we want to influence our children uh, to follow Jesus, they need to see that our love for God is real. They want to know if we're the real deal, if, 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 if our relationship with God um, is real as opposed to just a put on. In Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. The most effective way to pass on your faith to your children or your spiritual children, youth, or adults that you're investing in is to be a growing friend and a disciple of Jesus yourself. You see, it's impossible for me to pass on to my child something that I haven't embraced or experienced. In other words, I can't give them what I don't have. It's possible for me um, to communicate to my child, you know, the importance of a pure tongue, but they're not going to get it if my tongue is profane. It's impossible to convey to my children that they do not need to rely on drugs if I have an increasing reliance in my life on alcohol. Well, the same is true in my love for God. I cannot convey a love for God to our children if that love does not permeate my lifestyle. You see, nothing happens through me that isn't happening to me. That's a biblical principle. Of course, we're not talking perfection here. Please, this isn't about perfection. We all 
drop the ball. We all fail at times. This, what we're talking about is the direction of our lives, the direction of our attitudes, our, our values, our priorities. Now, the word that you used was permeate. And that word is important because it, permeate is not about giving our children a lecture. Permeate literally means to pass through something, to pass through the pores of something. Your love for God will pass through the pores of your life. You won't be able to help it. And it will be evident to your children and others in your life that you love God and that you are a friend of His. They'll witness you refer to Jesus various times throughout the day. That he isn't someone that you think of only before meals or here while you're here at church. But he is someone who is the center of your life. On a regular basis, they're going to hear you saying something like, you know, I was reading today in Psalm 22, and today the Lord showed me that there's something that I'm not trusting him with. When, when you share a burden, or when they share a burden with you, before you talk about a solution, the very first thing that comes out of your mouth is, you know what, let's just pray about that. The notice that you are quick to, to, to give forgiveness. And when you have a burden, you aren't too proud to go to your friends and your family members and ask them to join you in praying for that burden or that situation. They'll see you get upset when you see an injustice. They'll see you forgive those who have slandered and hurt you. They'll see you making your community group and the weekly worship gathering here a priority in your family and your life. They'll see you serving consistently behind the scenes, quietly, faithfully, with no need for recognition. All that to say that as you cultivate your friendship with Jesus, you can relax. You don't need to worry about whether, you know, you're doing all the right things, whether you're saying all the right things, even teaching all the right things, because you see the love of Jesus, his character, his attitudes, his values and his priorities, his passion is going to just ooze out of your pores for all to see. And consequently, you can be assured that your children are going to see firsthand what it means to have or what it means to be a friend of Jesus. So if you want to influence your children uh, or your spiritual children to follow Jesus, they need to see um, that your love for God is genuine, it's real. Furthermore, if you want to influence your children to follow Jesus... They need to see that your love for your spouse is real. Ephesians 5.25, Paul says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Fathers, next to your friendship with God, the greatest gift that you're going to give your children is to love and respect your wife because children build their sense of security and their identity on the foundation of your love and concern for one another. They also learn to relate to others on the basis of how they see you relating to each other. If they see you serving each other, respecting each other, uh, caring for each other, if they see you being affectionate and sensitive and forgiving and gracious and patient with each other, they will be more inclined to treat family members, including you, the same way. You know, fathers, you, you can spend, and this was kind of a new insight. I, I read this here just this last week, but you can spend all kinds of time doing things with your kids. Hiking, fishing, sports, helping with homework. You can be the greatest dad possible, but if you speak harshly to your spouse, if you're impatient with her, it, if you don't take time to be with her. Your children will struggle with feelings of insecurity and with trusting you. They're going to be thinking to themselves, if this is how he treats my mother, how can I be sure he's not going to treat me like this sometime in the future? Mm. And I can attest to this. I, I, when I, back in the day, I used, used to be a police officer here in Calgary, and I had just finished a set of four shifts, um, and I got off my last night shift, and I was really excited to come home, 
And I got home through the door. The kids are there. They're all excited to see me. And I greeted them and I said hi to Arian. And, and I just wanted to go to bed. That's all I wanted to do. And so as I'm starting to walk that way, um, Arian says to me, she goes, Matt, don't forget we had that thing today. And in that moment, something welled up inside of me. And the frustration and exhaustion that I had experienced at work carried, on, carried home into this situation. And in that moment, I spoke some things I regret to Erin. I spoke harshly to her. And after I was done, I looked, and what killed me the most was my kids were there, right in front of me as I did it. I went upstairs, went to bed, and had a sleep and we did our thing and it was over and I didn't think about it anymore after that until a few days later when I heard our oldest Ella saying to all of her siblings you guys we gotta behave because if we don't we don't want daddy to be upset and we, we don't want him to stop coming home she had concluded, because of my interaction with Arian that day, that we weren't okay, that I didn't like enjoying being at home. Your children are going to feel insecure, very insecure, if there is a lot of tension in your marriage and your home. Your children need to see that mom and dad, that you're doing okay. That there's a great thing going on between you. That you're not roommates living in the same home. They need to see you touch each other and show affection to one another. You know, there's one thing that my kids love more than anything right now is when we, Erin and I, when we kiss in front of them. And right now they go, kiss, 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 kiss. And then when we do, it's, oh, yeah, you know, and... That's kind of how uh, that looks like in our home. By the way, when they get to this age, yeah. and you kiss, it's ew, ew, yeah. ew. Yeah. <laughs> I think, Turn it off. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's more of a, oh. it's a gag reflex, really. Yeah. <laughs> it's your parents. Come on. No. Uh, they, you know what? Your children need to see you encouraging and affirming each other. They need to know that your marriage is solid and that there is nothing that anybody can do to divide you from one another. When your children see you loving and respecting your spouse and that you're able to do that and you're loving and caring about each other, even through disagreements and troubles and hardships and disappointments and tragedy, they will know and believe that your love for them is unconditional as well. A solid relationship with your spouse says to your children, we love you dearly, and we're going to be loyal to you, even as we are loyal and faithful to each other. Regardless of the regrets of the past, you are in a key position to positively impact your family by choosing today, not tomorrow, but today, to love your spouse the way that Jesus loved the church. And let's not forget that Jesus died for the church. And so if you want to influence your children to, to, to follow Jesus, they need to see that your love for God is real and that your love for your spouse is real. And then thirdly, if you want to influence your children to follow Jesus, they need to see that your love for them is real. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4. We're going to look at more detail on this passage um, uh, next week. Uh, but right now, we're just going to look at that first verse. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Have you ever wondered what exasperate means? It means to provoke to anger, to stir up their anger. Now, now that's a real challenge because children are emotionally volatile. Lots of things upset them, especially when they're young. But there's a principle here that Paul wants us to understand. That it, that, and that is that sometimes we say, say things or we do things that breaks their trust in us. 
and causes them to doubt or to question our love for them. Some of these include reminding them of past failures, discouraging their dreams, or just not letting them be kids. However, the one that we want to focus on in the time remaining is the one we believe causes children to be exasperated more than any of the others. And that is neglecting to spend time with them. Mm -hmm. And according to Dr. Rosalind Miles, the, the research says that if children were given a choice between two things, the first thing being enjoying and living the highest standard of living in the world, or having more time with their parents. If they were given those two options, they would consistently choose to have more time with their parents. Children long for their parents' time. They want to play with you because when they do that, they feel wanted and loved and accepted for who they are. She writes, if time is love, then the absence of time is the most basic form of abuse. The simplest test of love is that we choose to put our loved one's interests above our own. We are too wedded to our own comforts, our own careers, our own personal fulfillment. But children are simple and traditional. All they need is love, and all the love they need is your time. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 says, I can be an incredibly gifted person. I can have amazing faith. I can accomplish great things. I can be the most famous, most successful, most wealthy, most powerful person in the world. But if I do not have love, I gain nothing. You know, we, 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 we read that, but we so often neglect it or ignore it or just flat out forget it because our culture doesn't reward it. Our culture rewards achievement. And so we focus on accomplishing things, accumulating things. Our world rewards appearance, for example. And so we focus on looking good. Our, our world rewards power, position and possessions. And so we give our lives to those things. And as we do, we begin to skim on relationships, particularly those who are nearest and dearest to us. And that happens because we get rewarded for achievement more quickly. I mean, in the course of a number of years, we'll get bonuses. You know, we'll get promotions for good performance. But what about parenting? I mean, parenting takes a lifetime. And even at then, you're not really sure how well you did. And that's why we need to go against the grain. We need to simply trust in the Scripture and do the right thing. Because we know that one day we'll look back and we'll realize it was the right thing. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says that love needs to be our highest aim. In other words, relationships with God and with one another needs to be the highest aim. And the best way to express that in relationships is through the giving of our time. Now, I doubt if there's anyone here who would disagree with what I've said. I think we all know what God's saying to us. The question is, what practically are we going to do about it? What is one step that we can take, perhaps, in response to the teaching that we've received? And we're going to give a bit of a focus of that right now. You know, without giving reasons why, I grew up believing that achieving mattered more than relationships. If ever I had to decide between finishing a task or spending time with family and friends, most of the time my default was always to go after the task. Now you would think after all these years that, that I would wise up, that I would know better, and yet it seems like there's this tape recording inside of me that keeps calling out to me to go for the task. Last summer, as is our tradition, we were at Fairmont and 
members of our family came out. And regardless of who was out, our typical routine was in the afternoon, it was nap time for the kids. And generally what I would do during that nap time um, would be I would try to get ahead on preparing for uh, the fall series that I'd be speaking on. And uh, one time, Matt and his family were out, um, and uh, again, it was nap time, and their oldest daughter, Ella, wasn't napping anymore. And so she would sit at the table, and I remember even her mother saying something about, now, Ella, you know, you need to be quiet because Grandpa's over there, and he's reading, and he's studying, and so forth, so don't, don't bother him. And I would sit there, and I'd watch her playing by herself. And part of me said, you know, uh, what a special time this could be if I was just to put aside the task and spend some quality time with her. And I remember on the first day when I had that thought, that recording inside of me saying, yes, but here's your opportunity to get ahead. Here's your opportunity to finish the task or get on with the task. And I remember that day giving into that voice and watching my granddaughter play by herself. The second day, the same thing. And I began to think to myself, how, how many more times am I going to have the opportunity to spend two quality hours with my granddaughter? And despite this voice inside of me saying, no, you need to do this, I pushed through that. I ended up playing a bunch of games with her and enjoying my granddaughter that week, something I will never regret. And folks, next time, next time, if there's this recording inside of you that keeps telling you that something is more important than time with your family, you know, oh, I got I to gotta finish this to-do list. You know, yeah, we're going to get together, but first I got to do these things. Or next time, you know, uh, you, you're, you, have a, you have this idea that I, I've got to clean the house first. Yeah, we're going to get together then, but, but first I got to get this house all tidied up or get the garage organized. I want to challenge you to push through those feelings and do the right thing. I remember seeing a wall hanging in a home that said, sorry for the mess, but we're busy making memories. Now, in addition to that, we have another practical suggestion of how you can spend quality time with your family. In the Bible, we read in the creation account that God divided the 24-hour day into two parts, day and night. For the ancient Hebrew this greatly impacted the way they lived their life as a family. During the hours of sunlight from approximately 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., the Hebrews worked. And then at sunset around 6 p.m., time was devoted to relationships. They would get together with family. Sometimes they'd invite a neighbor or some friends over. They'd sit around the family meal and they, and, and they would tell stories and, and uh, converse about the events of the day. The family meal was a time of, of, of debriefing and, and just a time to kind of decompress. Then somewhere between 9 and 10, everyone would settle down for a good night's sleep. Now, according to Randy Frazee in his book, Real Simplicity, what messed up this wonderful rhythm of the ancient Hebrews was the invention of the light bulb. And as we know, that had a huge negative impact not only on the quality of our relationships, but also led to sleep deprivation and, and all the related health issues and also to work imbalance in many people's lives because, well, now with the light, you could just keep working all night if you had to. Well, we'd like to suggest that we all nullify the negative impact of this great invention by embracing the ancient Hebrew ritual of having a family meal together every day. Statistics tell us that most families struggle having one dinner meal together a week where all the family is there. 
And our observation is, is that even those families who do eat together most every day, most of the time they're just racing through the meal. It's like, you know, let's get this food down because we're off to something else. The reality is the table and eating together is the heart of community and sustains human relationships more than anything else. We challenge you, therefore, to make it a priority each day. Slow down at the family meal. Don't rush through it. Give each family member, or if there's a friend that you've invited over, give everyone an opportunity to talk about the events of their day or to tell stories, and, and for sure do this, and that is ask everyone to share their high and their low of the day. Linger at the table and close the meal, perhaps reading scripture and praying for one another. Now, it's interesting. Frazee says that research has shown that these family meals become so special, not only to the adults, but also to the children, that the children would rather miss almost any other activity, including television, playing videos, games, or a sport. They would rather give that up so they can be with their families and, and, and share this time with those that they love the most. They actually look forward to it every day. You know, you don't have to be married or have a family to do this. You can do this with roommates uh, or you can do it with friends. I mean, you can do it every night of the week if you want. I mean, get together and have a potluck or something and just enjoy your friendships. From all we've read and experienced, we are convinced that your children's sense of feeling loved, accepted, and belonging will grow dramatically. And your family life and friendships will go to another level of intimacy. So pray about that and seriously consider making the evening meal one of your family rituals. Talk about it together this summer. The very least, begin this fall with this in mind. Mm -hmm. So in the same way the evening family meal can help you grow closer as a family, we'd like to give you another practical example of how you can cultivate a deeper and closer relationship with God. Now, most of us believe it's important to have a close relationship with God. And yet, the weeks go by and the months go by and we consistently allow other things to get in the way of that. And I don't know about you, but I can easily get distracted by uh, a show on Netflix or a YouTube clip or social media platforms that help me connect with family and friends. I can get distracted by those things very quickly. And I have no problem making time for those things. But I'll catch myself saying, I don't have time to go deeper and connect with God. Well, about six weeks ago, I had a defining moment in my life. I had just taken a shower and I was looking at myself in the mirror and, and I thought, my, you, you do not age gracefully. <laughs> Whoa, you know, one of those moments, right? And then I started thinking about this last year. The good things, the joy, the laughter, the relationships. And then I started thinking about the pressures that I had been feeling, the struggles and the fears and the tears. And even though I didn't really understand why, I started to think about how I was feeling distant. I wasn't as close as I wanted to be to God. And then I, I became overwhelmed with guilt and condemnation thinking about how I had blown it as a son and blown it as a dad blown it as a husband and as a follower of Jesus and I was under attack as I stood there looking at myself in the mirror but then I was reminded of what it says in Romans 8.1 my friends, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Amen. None. And with this truth, I had this overwhelming feeling of, of peace come over me. And I sensed God saying to me, you, Matt, were created for me. I will give you rest. I am here for you. But I need your focused attention. And in my mirror moment, 
staring blurry-eyed at the mirror. I resolved that day to intentionally dedicate a period of time in my day to meet with God alone. And now I know from my past experiences, I knew that if I didn't put it in my calendar and establish a plan of what I was going to do, it wasn't going to happen. Like, I've had this goal, you know, to lose 15 pounds. And I've had that same goal for five years now. (laughs) And the extra 15 pounds has joined. So it's awesome. But God, God brought to my mind something in that moment because I'm like, I don't know what to do. I gotta be intentional and I gotta build it in my calendar. And God brought to my mind a teaching from Bill Hybels that challenged me to create a space to have a daily and extended experience with God. So about six weeks ago, I engaged in this new practice of meeting with God. And I am amazed, and I stand before you amazed of the difference it has made in my life. I feel so much closer to Him than I ever have before. I am hearing him speak to me now through his word in a different way. I now feel that my love for God, my devotion to him, is growing more than it ever could. And so today we want to challenge you to take a step of faith this week, not next month, but this week, and book a meeting time in your calendar between you and God. So to make this happen, this is what we're thinking, and this is what I've done. I want you to go through your house, wherever you live, and I want you to find a chair that's comfortable for you. And if you can, take that chair, move it somewhere where, it's, where you can focus, you can have a little bit of quiet, maybe there might be a nice view there for you. And then I want you to sit, not look at it, but sit in your chair. Make sure you've got your Bible with you. Make sure you have your journal with you. Bring a drink that you like to drink with you and sit. And ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you during this 15-minute meeting with God, with Him. Then open, your, open His Word up and start to read it and meditate on it. And then record in your journal everything that you feel that God is teaching you, what God is saying to you, and how you're going to apply it to your life. And then before you get up, commit to Him. Commit to God and yourself to making this sitting in a chair for 15 minutes a day with God part of the rhythm of your life. You know, it says in in Hebrews that the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. God's word, my friends, it is alive. And he wants to speak to you and me. His word is living and active and practical. It's not something that's outdated and old. Parents, and all of us actually, all of us, parents, but also fathers, If we want to know God intimately, if we want to live our lives with purpose, with passion and focus on the things that are going to matter for eternity, if we want to hear from God and let him direct our steps and live a life that will will captivate our children's attention, then we need to stop dipping our toes in the swimming pool of our relationship with God. We need to stop dipping our toes in it and instead start diving headfirst into it. Amen. Headfirst. Mm-hmm. Full immersion. Mm-hmm. We'll need to move from talking and wanting to get closer to God and spending time with Him to actually doing it. It is in my chair and my 15-minute meetings with God. I feel God stirring in my life as I write down my thoughts, how the passage applies to my life, and anything else I feel God is saying to me. These meetings with God in my chair have become holy moments for me. I ask you all today, where's your chair? Where are you intentionally connecting with God?
Fathers, you need a chair. You need one. For me, I'm a busy dad, and a quiet place in my house is hard to find. (laughs) And so for me, every morning before I come to the church here, I will go get my coffee, and I will go sit in a parking lot, and I will sit in my car, and I will have my time with God. The front seat of my car is my chair. Your chair may be in your bedroom, your living room. It might be at a coffee shop, on the bus or the train, in a restaurant, or even in your office. The time or the place isn't important. It's doing it that matters. Imagine if all of us started spending time with God like that daily. Imagine the growth that we would experience, the transformation that would occur in us as Christ's love and his joy and his peace and his patience and his kindness and his gentleness would increasingly be lived out through us and in the lives of those around us. Fathers, it takes great resolve and determination to do this. Don't waste your time that you've been given. It's a gift. Your kids, your spouse, those in your, influ- your sphere of influence, your marriage, and our country need you to do this. Find your chair, dads. And let God begin to transform you as you spend more time with him. Thanks so much, Matt. I'm going to close with this. Uh, Patrick Morley in his book, uh, Man in the Mirror, He tells the true story of an ill-fated fishing trip. A small group of fishermen had landed on a secluded bay in Alaska and had a great day fishing salmon. At the end of their time together, they they returned uh, to the seaplane and they prepared to take off. And when they took off, they were only a few feet in the air when the plane crashed back into the sea. See, unbeknown to them, one of the pontoons had been punctured and had filled with water thereby dragging the plane down. The seaplane slowly sank, and there were three men and a 12-year-old boy named Mark. They prayed, and then they jumped into the frigid water to swim ashore. The riptide was strong. The water was cold. Two of the men reached the shore, but they were totally exhausted. They looked back, And their companion, who was a strong swimmer, did not swim to shore because his 12-year-old son just wasn't strong enough to make it. They witnessed that father with his arms around his son being swept out to sea. He chose to die with his son rather than to live without him. You know, folks, there is a fact of life that most kids do not fully understand. Most fathers love their children so much that they would die for them. If I would ask every father in this room who would do the same thing for their son or daughter, I dare say that every father would leap to his feet. Sons, daughters, I pray that you never lose sight of that. Even though your father may be crusty to the core, even though he may have never said, I love you, you've got to understand how deep his love is for you and to thank God for that love today. Even if your father or your parents blew it royally, I want to challenge you to forgive them for the hurt that they cost you. If for no other reason, than out of your love and your faithfulness to Jesus. Now, on the other hand, fathers, a word to you. If our love for our wives and for our children is so great that we're willing to lay down our lives for them, how can we let our pride, how can we let the regrets of the past, how can we let wrong priorities In fact, how can we let anything prevent us from loving our families and our friends the way that our Heavenly Father loves us? Fathers, mothers, sons, 
daughters. God wants your family to be the closest relationship possible on earth. Whether that's a biological family or whether that's a family of friends. But it's not going to happen unless each of us humble ourselves and we embrace God's amazing love, His amazing grace, His forgiveness personally, and then allow Him to live His life of love and joy and peace and gentleness and kindness through us to those who are nearest and dearest to us. May it be so. Oh, may it be so. To the glory of God and for the sake of hurting families and relationships everywhere. So as we close this service, we're, we'd just like to ask all of our dads, our stepdads, our adoptive dads, foster dads, granddads, and soon-to-be dads to stand right now. As a dad, myself, I know the huge responsibility that you carry on your shoulders. Trying to provide for your family during economically challenging times. And also investing spiritually into the lives of your children and your grandchildren. And I know all of you want to get this fathering thing right. And that's a very worthy thing to aim for. But may I remind you today that God is God and we are not. And that we can't do this in our own strength. And I remind you today that you are deeply loved by your Heavenly Father. That's right. You are sons first, Father second. He loves you with an everlasting and unconditional love. And that as long as we lean into Him and submit to Him and trust Him, He is going to provide every ounce of wisdom that you need. All the grace you need, the strength you need to be the dad that He wants you to be. And I know some of you are standing and you're like, oh, Matt, this has not been a great week or month or year. For fathering I've blown it I just want to remind you of this like we said last time it is never too late to be a great dad to be a better dad to be the dad that God wants you to be what is past is past please don't live there anymore Rather, forget what is behind and, and strain towards what is ahead. Take hold of God's strong hand and step out and do the one thing that you feel like God is calling you to do today. Not next week, not next month, but today. To the glory of God and for the sake of those who are following you right now. And I'm just going to invite all the men here in all of our campuses now to stand alongside these dads. And I just want to say to you, if you are a spiritual dad, if you are investing in the life of another man who is new to the faith, or a young person, or a nephew, or, or a boy, or a group of children here in children's ministries, I just want to say thank you. Thank you to all of you for investing in the lives of our next generation. May God bless you for being a spiritual parent. Only eternity is going to fully reveal the impact that all of you are having and making in the lives of those that matter dearly to God. To all the men that are standing, whether biological fathers, spiritual fathers, today we bless you 
we bless you for all that you do, for the things that are unseen, for your heart's desire to see your, your children love and know God, and for you to provide for them and to ensure that there's a spiritual foundation in your home. Today, we bless you, we honor you, and I'm going to ask all of us to stand now alongside these amazing fathers and spiritual fathers, and we're going to honor you and give you some applause to cheer you on in this amazing Amen. journey of parenting. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we feel so unbelievably blessed to be your sons and daughters. Thank you for our fathers and every father in this room. Lord, they matter to you, and I pray, Lord, that you would give them the wisdom and the strength to juggle a demanding job in trying to raise a godly family. Lord, we know that you are God, that we're not, and we are so grateful for that truth. And so we pray, Lord, that as we lean into you in faith, that you would give every father here the wisdom and the strength to not just succeed in the marketplace, Lord, but also to succeed in their homes. Yes. And to raise up the kind of children you want them to. We pray for the spiritual fathers here as well. Lord, that you'd bless them and you'd give them wisdom. You'd give them patience and all that they need as they invest in those that you have called them to invest in. I pray, Lord, that you would watch over all of these men. I pray that you would watch over these fathers and their family, that you would give them the courage to live the life you're calling them to live and to make the hard decisions that you're calling them to make. Give them, Lord, the, the, the courage, but also just the resolve to take that first step today. For we pray it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Let's just sing a little song. Lord, I need you. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God be with you. There are prayer partners. There are prayer partners making their way up here. They'd love to pray with you before you go. We'll see you next week. God bless. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.